0: Good morning, everyone who's joining us online and worshiping us in our various sites. Glad that we can be together today. And we know it's a special day. After all, it is Playoff Sunday in Minnesota. And you have, most of you, thoughts about this, but I was captured by the thoughts of Justin Jefferson, our great wide receiver who is going into his first playoff game this afternoon. And he had a great quote this week. He said, I know what it takes to win and it's his first playoff game. I love the confidence. I know what it takes to win, and they're gonna get everything from me. And so I hope the best for them in the course of the afternoon, but I think that attitude from JJ is very symbolic as well as the attitude of Nehemiah, who just believed that God was gonna give him success, that there would be win with God's help, and maybe the Vikings will need that as well. but that he was going to give his all, and that's exactly what Nehemiah does. We opened up last week, the study of Nehemiah, it's going to take us all the way through um, Easter, and it's such a great book. I love it so much. I opened up with the words from Admiral James Stavridis last week, that the big door of leadership swings on the small hinge of character. So keen. That character always leads. And so... God will use the character of your life to swing the door or direction of your life in a certain way. Character is critically important. So as we face 2023 as a church, as you do in your own lives, there'll be changes. Our doors will be swinging one direction or another and character comes into that. So it's good to just think closely about what are the challenges that you're currently facing? What are the decisions that you have to make? Maybe Soon, now, or perhaps a little later? Or what are the problems that you need to solve? Or could it be that there's an opportunity in 2023 for you that you are called to seize? What does it look like as the door of our lives will swing together and individually in the course of this year? Well, throughout the course of Nehemiah, what I'm seeking to do is in each chapter elevate one of the character qualities of Nehemiah that helped him be successful in his life, to to let the door of his life swing in the direction of God's will and way. And uh, we opened up last week with the character quality of prayer with a message that you have to do more than pray, but don't do anything until you pray. So the question is, are you praying? Because God will will take the character of your prayer life and swing the direction of your life accordingly. It's an important part of your life and journey. Be a praying person. And today we're gonna be looking at the character quality of planning. And we know that planning is something that requires risk that you can't plan well, at least, without being invaded with your comfort zones a little bit, and risk comes with the territory of planning. I'm a, I'm a fan of Mark Twain and his humor and his wit, but he had a great, great little ditty that he, he, he said. He said, I once knew a man who grabbed a cat by the tail and learned 40% more about cats than the man who didn't. <laughs> and what he's saying there is simply that to get the most out of life we're gonna have to take risk. And so the message today is failing to plan is planning to fail. That God will use the character of your planning in your life to swing the direction of your life one way or another. So that's where we're going today talking about planning but let me give some historical context. If you were not here last week, let me put it into perspective where we are with Nehemiah with this map on the right side. All of this is the Persian Empire even though Judah is now in that Persian Empire. To the far right there you find Susa. That's where King Artaxerxes lives in his palace. That's where Susa, um, or that's where Nehemiah lives with him in Susa. And uh, we find that Nehemiah is an ex- in exile. That is 100 years before plus his family were exiled from Judah and were slaves essentially in Persia. And he had, over these years, become comfortable. He's got a great life, he's gotten to know the Persian way, but he still holds a love for God and he's got a great job. He is a professional wine tester. He is the cupbearer to the king. It's an important role. There's a lot of trust that goes with it. Some of his family, however, had migrated back to Jerusalem in in Judah. And his brother is there. And it's just horrible. The walls are destroyed. The city has been on fire. The homes aren't fit to live in. The temple is not functional. He just, they need help. And so he makes his way back, almost a 1,000 miles back to Susa to go to Nehemiah to say, could you go before the king and ask if they could help us? Could you come back into Jerusalem and bring help to our city? And so we left Nehemiah last week in a place of prayer. He's mourning, he's fasting, he's praying, and he's asking God for success, for that right opportunity to come before the king, which happens in chapter two that we open up now. And so he's praying and he's planning. That's an important statement. He's praying, he's not just praying, He's planning while he's praying. He's praying and planning, praying and planning, and it becomes an important part of the story for us today because great planning that aligns with God's purpose for success in your life, it is always a prayer plus equation. Everything we do should be undergirded with prayer. It's a prayer plus equation. This is where I'm going today. It's prayer plus waiting, and it's prayer plus courage, and it's prayer plus attitude. And it's prayer plus planning, the specifics of planning. That's what we're going to jump into in our brief time together. Are you ready to go into Nehemiah? Let's start with prayer and waiting go hand in hand together. That great planning that aligns with God's purpose for your life or success involves this waiting element And how good are you at waiting? We are not good at waiting. Can you just be honest about that? Raise your hand if you struggle with waiting at all. Can I just see most of us struggle with waiting? Why is that? Because we're impatient. That's why. And patience is not simply the capacity or ability to wait. It's how you behave while you're waiting. And that makes it even more challenging. I just, in the simple ways, reminded that earlier this week, I went to a local restaurant, won't state the name of the restaurant, but I go in, I make my order, they say it'll be about 10 minutes before your food is ready. I go, no problem, so I'm waiting. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and beyond. Impatience is rising up deep within my core. But I'm mindful, I'm looking around and I'm thinking, there are people who know that you're a pastor here. So, Joel, I'm talking to myself. Manage your face. Manage your face. Now, even if you're not a pastor, as a Christ follower, we should manage our face better than we typically do. Would you agree with that? Um, so, we find that Nehemiah is in this place, he's waiting, and he is behaving in a way that's quite compelling. Let me pick up the story for you. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, we pass. Pause pause right there because Nisan is the month of March. It's in the spring. From chapter one, remember we were in the month of Kislev, which was the month of December. So he's waiting. He's mourning, waiting, praying, fasting for four months. But what I want you to take note of is what he does. He said, when wine was brought for him, because he is the cupbearer, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. It's a simple line that you could just read and just let it go by. But without understanding, four months, he's been mourning. I mean, he is concerned. His insides are just torn up completely, but he shows up to work. He does what he's supposed to do. He's called to work. And I think when you're in a place and your insides are all torn up, the motivation to get up to go to work, no, we have PTO is what we do. He shows up to do his work and I'm mindful of that quality, that character quality of showing up. Um, some years ago, I had the privilege to emcee a leadership event in Minneapolis that I was gonna be hosting and introducing the uh, plenary speaker and he arrived a little bit late and we sat in the green room before he spoke and he was in a tough place, quite honestly. His son had been missing. He was up all night trying to find his son. He had addictive issues. They found him. He was wasted, but alive. He made it to the event. But he needed prayer, and I just offered a prayer that God would give him what he would need. He got up. Can I tell you? He spoke one of the most compelling messages I have ever heard. And I made a note. I was just a young guy, and I said, Joel, take note of this, that when life gets hard, show up and do what you've been called to do. And you've gone through that. You've had days that are so hard that it's difficult to want to show up, but to show up and actually do your work brings honor to the Lord, and it allows you to fulfill that which God has given you to fulfill. And that's where we find Nehemiah. Nehemiah is praying for success. He's waiting for just the right time to go before the king. He does not wanna jump the gun and be in a place where he would say, I needed to listen longer. And I needed to act not so quickly. And I wonder if some of you are in that place where you just know you got ahead of the game, got your heads over your skis. And you needed to wait a little longer, but you acted too quickly. And there's a ripple effect from that. And so we find that waiting, patiently waiting, opens doors before the Lord. And impatience closes doors. Now, when it comes to planning, it is this beautiful combination of, of praying and, and waiting, but also it's praying and, um, and courage. It's prayer plus courage that go hand in hand. That is, great planning that aligns with God's purpose for success in your life always includes courage that God invades our comfort zones, just look for it. He loves to do this to us, just stretches along the way. One of my mentors from afar is Winston Churchill. I've read most of his materials. I'm just compelled by the incredible leadership and life that he had in a time of crisis in the world. He has this great little line that success is never final. Failure is never fatal. It's courage that counts. That yesterday's success does not mean we're gonna be successful today. Failure feels like it's fatal, doesn't it? But rarely is it. It's courage that counts. And we find that Nehemiah is in a place where he could use a little courage. We pick up the story, he says, I was very much afraid. And I so appreciate that in God's word, the raw reality of our life is included. That could have been kept out. No, he's in a place. We think of him so highly in his leadership, but he is dealing with some real fear, as all of us do. It's part of how we step into life and to the journey. You face um, all kinds of reality when it comes to coming to terms with the fear that you have. And he does the same thing. In this given text, we see this beautiful story. And I also think you find this reality of what it is um, that you do to grow in courage and how you actually Find fear. You know, what is the fear that, that you have in your life and what is his fear? Maybe because the king might be misunderstanding what his intent is when he asks for a leave of absence. It could be for his own life because it's a dangerous thing to ask for a leave of absence before the king when you're a servant. It could be the people in Israel. What will happen if these resources and help don't come to the way of God's people? It could be for God's reputation, which has quite honestly been damaged, but, but what are you afraid of? When you look at 2023, what are the fears that are percolating right now? And what are you going to do with them? How do you grow in courage? You grow in courage by facing that fear, that danger, that difficulty just head on. That's how you step into it, and it's not easy. I wanna share a couple words about courage because we tend to lock it into a little box, and it's much bigger than that. We think of courage for being in the moment, you know, running into a burning home to rescue somebody, and that is courage. There's momentary courage, absolutely, but most courage is everyday courage. In fact, to get out of bed for some people is an act of courage. If you're dealing with chronic pain, if you're dealing with severe depression, just to get out of bed is an act of courage. Um, to prioritize your life in the full court pressure of everything that comes against us, it takes courage to prioritize what is most important in your life. I think of courage as having a, a continuum, a span. There's courage that's needed to be able to step into the adventures of life, the joy of life. Our comfort zones get invaded there, but also the hard of life. Uh, for an example, on the, the joyful side of life, when our children were young, we took them to uh, world, our Disney World and had the opportunity to visit Blizzard Beach at Disney World. If you're familiar with it, at the time anyways, it was the home to the largest water slide in the world, 60 feet high, I mean 120 feet high, um, and 60 miles an hour to come down this thing. And uh, I looked at that, and I think, this would be a good experience for my son. <laughs> And so I, wanted, I want him to have his comfort zone invaded. I want him to have courage for the adventure of life, to seize all that life has to offer us. And so I tried to persuade him. He said, I'm not going up there. And I said, I'll go with you, I'll go down too. And in my mind, I'm going, oh no, what am I saying yes to? But we go all the way up, we walk up, and can I tell you, it was scarier on the top than it was on the bottom. And we get up there, we're looking. I'm having second thoughts, but this is not the time. This is a principle now. I'm teaching my son courage. <laughs> We're going to do it. I said, "I'll go first because I just want to get it over with at this point, and then you follow." And he said, "I'm not going to go." And I said, "No, yes, you will." And I talked with the lifeguard that was on the top. I said, "Make sure he comes down because once <laughs> once I'm down." So I went down, 60 miles an hour, sh- came to the bottom long landing strip. But for me, it sounded like this. Sh- <laughs> that's how it was for me. Then he came down, and it was like butter, <laughs> just like that. And I felt uncomfortable. Um, quite honestly, but he did it, and quite honestly, it was a great thing. Later in the afternoon, we get to the hotel, I'm just not comfortable, I look, and here I had broken my blood vessels from my knee all the way up into my buttocks from doing that, so I'm just saying there's bad risk and good risk. <laughs> For me, it was bad risk. For him, it was good risk. He can tackle any of these rides. He loves it, and I attribute that one occasion. So part of the adventure of life we miss because we play it safe. We're afraid to courageously step into it. But on the hard side, that's where it shows up, and it's especially difficult. A dear friend of mine died a few years ago and just rocked my world, to be honest with you. And I shared these words, the words of Elizabeth Elliot with his wife and some others. I said... Elizabeth Elliot said that sometimes life is so hard, all you can do is the next thing. Whatever the next thing is, just do it. You just face it head on. And it could be a little thing. But when you're in a hard place, a little thing becomes a big thing. And you just incrementally find your way toward a place of healing. No, courage opens doors. And fear can close doors So we find when it comes to planning that it is a prayer plus waiting experience. It is a prayer plus courage experience, but also it is a prayer plus attitude that go hand in hand together. That attitude is important when it comes to great planning that aligns with God's purposes of success for your life. It includes having an attitude that opens doors concerning the direction of your life. Great planning really puts us in an incredible place where what you speak Um, with what you treasure, with how you honor the Lord makes a difference in how that door is actually going to swing. And so I wanna take a look at these three dimensions. First of all, when you're praying, it does affect the way you speak. And how you speak, um, what you say, how you say it really comes to life. Take a look at Nehemiah's journey in this. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever forever. May the king live forever. I I just want you to take note here that he approaches the king. See, he's been in prayer about how do I approach the king when that time comes and he approaches the king and he affirms the king concerning the role that he is. He is the king and he assures the king that I am faithful to you and loyal to you and it becomes an important part of the scenario for him for that door to open in the direction of his life and I think really ultimately what he's seeking to do is to avoid polarization with his friend, with his boss, with the king, and he's trying to preserve unity in relationship. And I think about, that in itself is a good lesson for the, for the day that we live in, right? Because it seems like we're looking to create polarization <laughs> That that we're so concerned, we express our attitudes in a way, we approach subjects in a way that polarizes, not unites us. And I think we would find wisdom from um, the way and the life of who Nehemiah is. That prayer shapes how you speak and what you actually say. So if you have a teenager who just got their driver's license and they approach you and say, Dad, may you live forever, (laughs) could I have the keys? (laughs) Um, Yeah, you can have the keys. It, it makes a difference, right? But if he's entitled, like it's his car, you know, no, it's not your car. It's, it's our car. And then it's a whole different ballgame. So honor opens the door, and entitlement closes the door. A lot of entitlement in our time and place. So we find that attitude matters in what you speak, but also in what you treasure. Take a look at what he says here. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? He does some things here. What stands out to me right away is the truth that he speaks. He speaks simple, straightforward truth in love. He doesn't manipulate. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't understate. He just communicates this is the reality. And when you can define reality and there's trust in the reality that you've defined, then you can do something about it. And then he does something else in this journey. He talks about what's important to the king's heart. He says, when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins, he connects the connection to home. And for all of us, home is something we need to treasure. And the king of Artaxerxes in the tribal systems that were there is elevate home. He immediately has sympathy for where Nehemiah is. That home matters. That place of security and significance, the place where you know you'll be valued and treasured, no matter what happens. He's just speaking to the heartstrings. No, what you treasure can open the doors or close the doors of life. And then he goes on with attitude and how he honors God. In fact, the king is about to open the door for him. Take a look at it. it said. The king said to me, what is it you want? You put yourself in Nehemiah's shoes. Wow, there's got to be relief. This is the moment that it's about to take place. I'm gonna speak the request before the king. And then I prayed to the God of heaven. He is so in tune because of his prayer life that he didn't get lost in the opportunity to just seize the question. He pauses with a prayer gram before God. There's mighty prevailing prayer that happens over long seasons, and then there are programs, little arrow prayers that we bring all the time before the Lord, and he's in that given place. He brings the program before the Lord. So I'm, Lord, I know you're gonna help me. You're opening this door. I just, I receive it. A couple of years ago, I read the biography of Eugene Peterson, who just blessed me beyond measure to say the least, but I took a, a pen and on a card, I wrote a quote from his book, And I put it on my desk next to a picture so that every day when I came to work, I would see those words and be reminded, this is what I wrote. And it's just in my free hand as I wrote it then. The great affirmation and insight of faith is that help is being given all the time. And I wrote those words because, you know, you have days and moments where you question, where is the help of God? And I just wanted to come with a confidence that God's help comes in different ways, maybe than we'd expect, but it's available all the time. And I put it by this picture, it's actually me holding my granddaughter, looking into um, the stage lighting that was behind us, because it was a picture to me of a father-child relationship and we have with God a father-child relationship. And he is always wanting us to see light. And my granddaughter was just drawn by the light. And this image that God is bringing us into the light of help because that's who he is. It's what he loves to do and we're grateful that he does. Now when it comes to planning, prayer plus waiting, prayer plus courage, prayer plus attitude is really important for how that door will swing. But there's one more too. Prayer and planning go hand in hand. In fact, we find that Prayer is an important part of how we step into that planning process, the specifics of it. That great planning that aligns with the purposes of God for success in your life includes planning. That great planning requires serious thinking. And when we enter into serious thinking to do planning with and for God, for our lives, in 2023 even, there will be profitable outcomes for us. And that's just not financial. But it will also be very demanding. To think deeply and to plan is very, very challenging. And we find here in Nehemiah that he has been praying and planning, praying and planning, mourning, fasting, and praying, and putting it together in his head, offering himself to the Lord. And when that opportunity comes, he's prepared for big asks before the king There's a story that we have shared at Westwood's journey from the very beginning at all of our membership seminars. Because we have so many new people coming right now, I wanna share this story again. It's a rehearsal for some of you, it's new to some of you, but the call of the story was to say, let's take this posture as a church and see what God will do with it. And he has answered it over and over again. It's a story of Arnie Palmer, the great golfer who was invited to Saudi Arabia for a three-day golf tournament. He accepted that invitation, was playing golf. The king of Saudi Arabia asked for a private meeting with Arne Palmer. It was arranged. And in that meeting, Arnie Palmer was with the king and the king said, I would like to give you a memento, a gift of your coming to our country. And Arnie Palmer, just lover of golf, said, there's no need to do that. I just love being with your people. I love playing the game of golf. That's just not necessary. But he could tell he had offended the king of Saudi Arabia. Good practice in life is don't offend the king. He took a step back. He recalibrated. He came back and he said, well, a golf club would be a nice memento of my stay in your country. And the next day, delivered into Arnie Palmer's hotel in an envelope was the title to a golf club, 100 acres, 18 holes, (laughs) clubhouse, and all the amenities included. And the moral of the story is, in the presence of a king, don't ask for small gifts. And friends, we stand in the presence of the king of kings. And I wonder sometimes, do we just approach him with little things? When he wants to do something great and mighty in our lives, we are called to come before the king and ask big for his presence and his provision and his protection. And those are the three things that Nehemiah does. Let's just take a look at them. First, for permission. King, would you be willing to send me? Take a look at what he says. If it pleases the king... And if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. And I elevated the if here because you just still still see the honor that he has in approaching the king. If it pleases the king, if there's still favor, I have a big ask for you along the way. And he casts a vision. He's direction setting. Planning includes setting a clear direction. That is, Vision is the ability to see God's preferred future in your life as he sees it, even for Judah and Jerusalem. It's part of the element of good planning, clear direction. And it's not just clear direction, it's also good timing. And we find these words in Nehemiah 2.6. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked him, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. That good planning requires thinking through the time that it's gonna take to get it done. We don't get the specific time in this text, but when we get later into the journey of Nehemiah, you will see it will be a total of 12 years. It's a bolder ask than Nehemiah even knew that it would be, but he steps into that given place. And I think, yeah, do you have clear direction of your life? Do you, understanding that timing matters in terms of how we follow and lead with the Lord. And then he calls him out and says, protect me. It's an important piece of life, We need to be protected, and he knows that. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. He needs letters to be able to go to the different regions because it's almost 1,000 miles, different governors, different tribal leaders. You know, the king not only gives him the letters, he gives him the cavalry. He sends a cavalry with him to protect him. It's a big ask, and the king goes above even that ask. And I think about that in our own lives. In 2023, what is it you need protection from? And if you have children or grandchildren, or if you just know children, I think we have a call to pray for their protection. We're living at a fascinating time, wouldn't you agree? We need to pray for the protection of the next generation, that we could see God's love for them preserved in their faithfulness. My wife, Carrie, has this beautiful prayer that's up on... um, it's it's in her desk and it's been there for years. She used to pray this prayer every day for our, our children. And it's a beautiful prayer. And she says, mama's prayer for her kids. May the light, may the light of God surround you. May the love of God envelop you. May the power of God protect you. May the presence of God watch over you. Lead, and then she would use each name of our children. Pray by name for your children in this time. He prays for this this protection. And then finally, he prays for provision. Provide me um, along the way. Look what he says. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. He's got three building initiatives. It's amazing. Nehemiah was not a builder. He was a cupbearer but he was a leader, this had to impress the king. Because transferable leadership principles can go into any job. If part of your challenge in 2023 is you gotta find a new job, but the job isn't one that you've ever the kind of job isn't the kind of job you've been in, it's not been the field. If, if you take a look at your life and your leadership influence that you've had, it's transferable in all kinds of different settings, and that's what happens to Nehemiah. And God is so gracious to him. He moves into this given place, and he moves into those three building projects that is the, a building project that would rebuild the, the walls of the city, the gates of the city, and of course, I just love that this is included, and my house, because we care about our abode. Could you... Bring the timber so that they could have a house built for me as well. I love this bold ask. Pray this way. It's okay to pray these bold kind of requests. And he does. In the presence of the king, don't ask for small gifts. And we stand in the presence of the king of kings. And look how God answers in Nehemiah 2.8. He says, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request." And more, because God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all we could think or imagine. Whew. That's in Nehemiah too. And I'm reading this, and I'm going, "Wow." I'm really glad to be at a church like Westwood. And for many of you who are new, I I want to invite you into what our planning process looks like, because it begins in two weeks. We have a five month planning process in terms of how does God want to work in and through this church this year and into 2024. And I want to put it up. I'm just going to briefly mention it just so you can see the process we go through. And I could invite you to pray. We have a retreat that begins in two weeks. We have staff and board that are currently have entered into a a prayer and fasting season. And we start with the core anchor that we're Christ-centered, lay-led, and staff-resourced. That all we do, we do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. We're lay-led. We lead ministry through ministry teams led by you. And we're staff-resourced. The staff we hire are there to equip the body of Christ to do the ministry. So if you come from a background thinking that the pastors and the directors of ministry are doing the work of the ministry, well, we are. But we're really um, doing it in partnership with you. We're here to resource that. And this is our time frame. You have to have dedicated time. So we lay out, it's a five month window. It begins with prayer. We're in that place now. We collaborate with others. What is God doing? Where is he going? We want to go where God is. We create smart goals and objectives. They're specific. They're measurable. They're achievable. They're relevant. They're time focused. And they write those together and we share them with each other. They have to all align with the mission of the church. And then in the journey, we recalibrate because God is the one who answers those prayers. And Oftentimes we're adapting and changing. So I just wanna invite you, would you pray for us as we begin a five month journey of praying where God is gonna lead us and we will boldly ask but we wanna go where he is and that will make the difference in answered prayer. So in the presence of a king, friends, don't ask for small gifts. So could you just open your hands where you are? If we all do it, we'll just all feel calm about it because this is a posture of receptivity before the living God who wants to bless your life and bless it abundantly. Welcome his blessing. Father God, thank you for eyes to see and ears to hear. We acknowledge that our life is in your hands, that the way the door swings on our life, the direction it goes, is tuned into our relationship with you and the character that you are shaping so we can be in love like Jesus. Oh, we have big things this year. Some people have great opportunities, others great challenges. Give us what we need, and might the wisdom and the character of Nehemiah help us see how you work even in our lives, we pray to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.